Martin. And can I add my word of welcome uh, to that of Martin just now? Uh, nice to have you here. Uh, thank you for being with us this evening. Uh, can you please turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2 on page 1214 of the Church Bibles? Page 1214, 2 Peter chapter 2, continuing our series uh, through 2 Peter. And in your bulletin, if you go to the center page of the bulletin, uh, there is an outline of uh, tonight's sermon. It's a very brief outline, but it's an outline nonetheless. Uh, so you might want to have that as well. Uh, but most importantly, 2 Peter chapter 2, page 1214. Now, the passage, as we read it just now, we would have seen the passage as a disturbing passage. It's not as pleasant passage as the ones that uh, we had the last couple of weeks, but we know this is God's Word, and God loves us, and He is good. And this is God's good Word for us to hear. Uh, because uh, uh, he wants to um, warn us uh, and encourage us uh, in his ways. So let me, uh, let me lead us in prayer as we come to this passage together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good God who loves us. And we thank you that in your love you have given us both encouragements and warnings in your holy word. And we pray that as we look at the warnings in this passage tonight, uh, you would give us hearts that love you and therefore heed the warnings you give us. And we pray that um, your Spirit, uh, who gave us these warnings through the, uh, the Apostle Peter, uh, would enable me to, to preach this passage rightly and in his power, uh, and that he would work in each one of our hearts, that we might uh, hear what you are saying to us, and that we might respond appropriately and hold fast to the Lord Jesus uh, until the very end. So we commit this time to you, asking that you work among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Think back to me when you were small. When you were small, did your mother warn you about strangers? Right, for many of us, our, our mothers always used to warn us about getting into the car with strangers or with strange men or, or following people we don't know. Our mothers might have told us not to accept sweets and enticements from people who could, who could kidnap us or take us away because, because our mothers loved us and, and wanted us to be safe. Peter is worried about the same kind of thing on a spiritual level. There are people who could lead us to spiritual disaster. And Peter wants his readers and he wants us to be able to distinguish between the true and the false so that we will be safe as well. So far, we have been looking in this series on what is true. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the blueprint for, for Christian living that was given by the Apostle Peter. Uh, we saw that Christian life is based first and foremost about what God has done for us in Christ. It is based on the grace that God gives to us in the gospel. We saw we have been given faith in the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We trust in Him as the perfect one who, who died in our place and rose again. And through this faith, we have been saved. We saw that in Christ, God has given us a knowledge of Himself. We have relationship with Him. We know Him truly as our God, as our Father. We know Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior. And we saw that through this, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. 
And God has given us His great and precious promises through which we are, to, which are able to, to escape the corruption of this world and be with Him in glory forever. And then we saw that having been saved and having been given all these things by God's grace, we, in turn, need to make effort. We need to grow in being more like Christ. And we know from other parts of the Bible that God is working in us by His Spirit. But 2 Peter reminds us that, that we need to make every effort ourselves in this regard. And so Peter says to work hard, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and your virtue with knowledge, knowing God better, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness and perseverance, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And Peter said, all these things we need to keep on growing in. And if we're growing in each of these areas, all the time, we'll keep on walking in Christ. Because if we keep on pursuing each of these things in response to God's grace in Christ, then, then we will not fall away. We'll keep on walking with Christ to the very end. We'll keep on trusting in Christ to the very end. And at the very end, we will enter into His eternal kingdom. That was the blueprint for Christian living. Saved by grace, and then making every effort to grow more and more Christ-like in character. And to Peter, this blueprint was very important. This was the message he had to keep on repeating over and over again. And now that he is about to die, he wants to give his readers a, a way of being reminded about the, uh, of this even when he's gone. And that's why he's writing this letter. And then last week we saw Peter reminding them of the basis for this blueprint. He, he's, he's an apostle. He was sent by the Lord Jesus in a reliable eyewitness of his glory. And his words can be trusted. But even more sure was the written word, the word of Scripture, came down through the prophets. The apostles were eyewitnesses, and we have their writing. They, they speak of Jesus, we have their writing in the New Testament. The prophets, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, and, and we have their writing in the Old Testament. We can trust the apostles, we can trust the prophets, so we can trust the, the New Testament and the Old the Bible is the Christ-centered, Spirit-given revelation from God. We can be certain of that. We have the apostles. We have the prophets. Everything else, we need to check up against that. Because remember how Peter just said at the very end of chapter 1, that even in the Old Testament times when the prophets were speaking, men spoke from God, when the prophets were speaking, that they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Well, those true prophets were not the only people on the scene. Even in those Old Testament days, there were false prophets as well. And in New Testament times, there would be False teachers too, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. There will be false teachers. That's, that's what he says. Right? When you print money, someone's going to go and print counterfeit. There will always be con artists around. And they will always do things in a sneaky way. In the second half of verse 1, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They're not going to announce themselves, hi guys, I'm a false teacher, come and be deceived by me. You don't get phishing emails, do you? Saying, 
This is not really from the bank. If you click on this link, you will go to a counterfeit site from which we will steal your password and other personal information. You'll never get a phishing email like that. When you see a car with a sticker, Mafia Staff Car, right, the one thing you know is that it's not. No, 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 no. Heresy will be sneaky. You need to be careful. You see, these false teachers here, they do not submit to the Lordship of Christ. If you ask them, do you believe Jesus died for you? They, they might even say yes. But they do not treat him as their Lord. They do not seek to obey him. As verse 1 continues, they, they deny the master who bought them. And in rejecting Christ as master, they show that actually they have no part in him. They bring upon themselves swift destruction. God's justice will be sudden. And that is sad enough. But it gets worse. Because these people not only do the wrong thing, but they teach others to do so as well. And so in verse 2 we see that many will follow their sensuality. The word for sensuality there often refers to sexual sin, and that's, that's the case here. These false teachers have a loose, unbiblical sexual ethic that's attractive for people who, who want to be religious but not follow the teaching of Jesus and his apostles in this area. The Bible teaches that sex is for marriage and only for marriage. And marriage is a lifelong public union between a man and a woman. False teachers, these false teachers, they have a different ethic. They have a loosening of the sexual ethic. And many will follow their sensuality. And this loosening of sexual ethics by these false teachers in the church results in behavior within the visible church that even the unbelievers who are moral find to be wrong. And so verse 2 continues, And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Now, Peter is talking about specific false teachers probably in that first century context. But as we look around in the 21st century, we we see similar things as well, don't we? Uh, we see this very clearly, I think, in a denomination called the Episcopal Church of America. I'm not saying it applies to every individual and every congregation in the Episcopal Church, but as a denomination, we see leader after leader rejecting the witness of the apostles and the prophets. They reject the Bible as the authoritative word of God, and without that foundation, they're denying the master who bought them. And so we see them again and again, happily accepting sex outside marriage and blessing same-sex marriage, which is not marriage. We see the sin of a man who left his wife to marry his gay partner celebrated and him being made a bishop. And we see Muslims and other moral people looking at them and saying, is that Christianity? And you want to say, no, 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 no that, that's fake Christianity. You want to say, don't be like the people who, who say Rolex watches are no good because they had a bad experience with the one they bought on the roadside in Bataling Street. But, but they don't understand. What they see is Bishop so-and-so saying such and such, and, and the way of truth is blasphemed. Now, now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that when I say that sex outside of marriage is wrong, I'm not automatically condemning everyone who has same-sex attraction. 
whether you have same-sex attraction or opposite-sex attraction, being attracted to someone who is not your spouse is very different from going to bed with him or her, saying it's okay and encouraging other people to do similar things. We need to support and encourage our brothers and sisters with same-sex attraction to help them not to sin sexually, just as we need to support and encourage our brothers and sisters with opposite-sex attraction to, sin, to, to help them not to sin sexually. But what we must never do is to say that sexual sin is okay and to encourage other people to do it. That is what the false teachers were doing in Peter's day. And that leads to God's condemnation. The false teachers of Peter's day were not only sexually licentious, they were also greedy. And because they were greedy, they ended up doing fraud. Look at verse 3. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Instead of teaching the truth about God from his word, these, these teachers just give God's people stories that they've made up, and they do it so that they can feed their greed. And so we see the second problem that, that, that they had, isn't it? And as you look around in the 21st century, well, we see this problem there as well from a different group of people. Um, in Peter's time, got same people doing it, and our time I can see it separate. Uh, many of us have heard or read on the internet of, of false teachers who get incredibly rich by conning people out of their money. The money comes from God's people, should have gone for gospel causes, but instead it goes to their outlandish lifestyle. Uh, God speaks to them, it seems, and tells them to buy Learjets and to get the people to whom they're ministering to, to fund this, and, and they make false promises in God's name. Send me the money, they say. They, they call it planting a seed, and God will multiply it back to you. And in their greed, Peter says, they'll exploit you with false words. Sexual immorality on the one hand, greed and fraud on another, both fueling this false teaching. But these false teachers will not get away. They will not get away forever with what they're doing. The Holy Spirit says through Peter in the second half of verse 3, their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. God will punish them. And Peter shows that by looking back at God's judgments in history. In verse 4, he speaks about the fallen angels in, in ancient times. God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, or actually Tartarus, the, the place of gloomy darkness where they're kept in chains until the final judgment. In verse 5, he, he didn't spare the ancient world. Yes, he preserved Noah, herald of righteousness with seven others, but, but he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, destroying everything else. In verse 6, he, he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to, to ashes, making them an example of what would happen to the ungodly. Although in the midst of that, he rescued righteous Lot, who was really distressed by the, the sensual conduct of the wicked, and uh, day after day was, was tormented over what he could see and hear. And Peter's point is this. If God sorted out the angels who sinned and kept them for judgment... If God sorted out sinful civilization of Noah's time but saved Noah, if God sorted out Sodom and Gomorrah but saved Lot, 
Then verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. God knows how to rescue his people and bring judgment on these false teachers. And he will do it. These Old Testament judgments, they all didn't happen immediately. But God knows how to keep the unrighteous for the day of judgment, and that day will surely come. So having established the fact that God will judge the false teachers, Peter elaborates more on what they do. In verse 10, he, they, they indulge in the lust of defiling passion. And once again, they ignore God's word on sex and, and they follow the corrupt desire of their sinful nature. In the second half of verse 10, they, they, blaspheme, they despise authority and they blaspheme the glorious ones, being bowlful and will, uh, willful, bold and willful. Uh, these glorious ones are probably spiritual beings and uh, they just go in and they, they, they slander them, they rebuke them, even though they don't really understand what's going on in the spiritual realm. Even the angels in verse 11, even the angels greater in might and power don't pronounce blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord, but fools, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And these false teachers do this because they're not really working on reason. They're working on instinct. They just get a feeling about something and they just go and teach it and do it. In verse 12, these are like irrational animals, creatures of instinct. Born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters which they're ignorant. And will also be destroyed in their destruction. In spiritual matters, instinct is a very bad guide. Don't just go on what you feel. Stick to God's word and think about it. Use your brains to work out God's will based on what God has said through the apostles and the prophets. These guys, Peter says, they don't do that. And they cause all this damage. They act just on instinct like animals. And like animals, they'll be destroyed. And like animals, they, they seem to be unrestrained in, in seeking out their, their animal instinct desires and quite unashamed about it. And so in verse 13, they... they they counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They're sexually promiscuous and they're quite open about it. It's as if there's nothing wrong. No shame. They join in Christian meetings and meals in verse 13. But are a blot and blemish on the holiness of God's church. For their eyes, verse 14, are full of adultery. The, the way they look at people, they're, they're, they're pretending to help. Actually, they're insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They, they, they see people as potential conquests to be enticed. They're predators. And they never get enough. Their hearts are trained, but they're not trained in virtue, but in greed. A desire to have more and more of what they should not have. Forsaking the right way in verse 15. They followed the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, was rebuked for his own transgression by a speechless donkey with a human voice. Uh, Balaam, remember, was a prophet in the Old Testament. He was paid for by the, the enemy of Israel, uh, the king of Moab. He was paid to prophesy against Israel. Every time he went to prophesy, the Spirit made him prophesy good things instead of curses on Israel that the king wanted. But in the end, he found a way around it. Right? In his greed, because he's being paid by the king of Moab, he, finds, he helps them find a way to make Israel disobey God. He tells them to seduce them by inviting them to come and join in religious orgies, committing sexual immorality as they worship false Moabite gods. 
And you see, these false teachers were like that. They lead God's people astray. They are motivated by greed, and they encourage sexual immorality among God's people. But their promises are empty. Verse 17 says, They are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. In the end, they cannot deliver. Sexual immorality does not lead to satisfaction, just destruction. False teaching about God does not lead people to heaven where true riches are to be found. It leads people to hell. And so remember what God's, remember how God said that he will truly punish these false teachers? Well, we see it even more clearly at the end of verse 17. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. That is the worst punishment. Because not only do they do evil themselves, they, they trap people who might otherwise have been saved. In verse 18, they speak loud boasts of folly. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. People are just coming to know about God and instead they're just coming into the church and instead they're enticed by the confident assertions of these false teachers who appeal to their lust by giving them a license to do whatever they want with their bodies, maybe even with them. They say, come and join me in liberty. But actually, verse 19, that's not liberty. That's not freedom. What they bring them into is slavery, slavery to corruption and depravity, and leave them worse off than they were before. For, verse 20, if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they're entangled in them again and overcome, that last state is worse than the first. There's only two things worse than not knowing God in the first place. The first is having some knowledge of God and then turning your back on it. It had been better for them, verse 21, never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. It's worse to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and then deny his lordship and, and live like a pagan. It's like in verse 22, a dog returning to its vomit and a pig after washing itself going, going back to wallow in the mud. That is spiritual disaster. And that's what Peter wants us to avoid. But there's one thing that's even worse than that. And it's being a false teacher. It's twisting the truth about God into a distorted counterfeit teaching. Enticing other people to get entangled in the sin and corruption that they were just escaping. Teaching people to live by their sinful desires instead of by God's word. In ancient Israel, the false prophets were executed. But Israel was a picture, a model, a shadow of God's eternal kingdom. And in the reality, in the new covenant, it's even worse. It is the gloom of utter darkness that is reserved for them. The deepest hell. For they are responsible for the eternal destruction of other people. Friends, God has given us this warning, not just to scare us, but because he loves us. He wants us to be careful. Do not get kidnapped. Do not get sucked in by false teachers. Do not swallow everything people tell you. 
There will be false teachers of all sorts who will come and try and lead people astray. But don't be too discouraged. It's actually not so difficult to be safe from false teachers. It's not so difficult to tell the true from the false. And Peter tells us how. Because notice the structure of the passage we have before us. He writes a whole long chapter about these false teachers, but he sandwiches it in between talking about the, well, on the one hand, beforehand, what does he talk about? He tells us where the truth about God is to be found, isn't it? In chapter 1, verse 16 to 18, it's in the words of the apostles. And in verses 19 to 21, it's the prophets, the apostles and the prophets. And when he's finished speaking about the false teachers in chapter 2, he tells us again in chapter 3, verse 2, where to find the truth, the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Go back to the prophets and the apostles, the Old Testament and the New. So brothers and sisters, let me remind you of something that you already know. You can think clearly about how to live the Christian life by remembering the words of the apostles and the prophets. You can avoid disaster by sticking to the Bible. Don't be gullible. Check, every, check everything. Check what I say. Don't just trust my word for it. You keep on checking whatever I say according to the Scriptures. Know the Bible more and more. Don't just be led by your instincts and don't let other people lead you by their instincts. The Spirit has spoken and still speaks to us as we read His Word. He will not contradict Himself. He will not change His priorities for our lives. Check everything against the Scriptures. Remember God has given us whatever we need for life and godliness. We just need to stick to the blueprint that He has given us in His Word. So what must we do? Be thankful for all that God has done for us in Christ. Be thankful for the great love that He has shown us at the cross, the forgiveness that He has granted us through Jesus' death for us. And then work hard to grow more and more like Jesus in the way we live, growing year by year in obedience to His Word, and He shows us how to do that and look forward to spending eternity with Him. Do not be turned aside from this blueprint into something or anything else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that in your love for us, you give us the warnings that we need to hear so that we can be safe from false teachers and false teachings. And we pray that you give us ears to hear these warnings. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you make us a people who so love you that we love your word and seek to obey you Make us a people who are all so grateful for what you have done for us in Christ. Who seek to grow each day and, and each month and each year 
in the virtues and characteristics that you have that you have called us to make every effort to grow in. Make us people who are discerning, who will test everything according to the words of the apostles and the prophets that you've given us in the scriptures. And make us a people who are faithful to you all the way to the end. Preserve us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.